Welcome to Tea with Culture. My name is Hin Mazena, and in this episode, we have a returning guest, Imtisham Jihado, who was here uh, a few months ago to talk about Aladdin. In this episode, we're here to talk about uh, the latest film directed by James Mangold, Le Mans 66, aka Ford versus Ferrari. Hi, Imtisham. Pleasure to be back as always, Hin, and talk about more stuff that's animated like Aladdin. <laughs> Well, when I watched this movie, and especially uh, about cars and car racing, you're the first person I thought about that I wanted to sit and have a deep discussion about it. I mean, with your car journalism background, you're the car expert, at least as far as I know. Well, I helped you buy a car eventually. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so I thought I could not pass on an opportunity to sit and talk about this film because there was a lot that went through my mind when I was watching this. I watched it twice, and I really want us to get into this about the film about car culture in dubai about um a little known story of dubai grand prix that happened once in 1981 so i want us to touch upon that and maybe also think about other car racing movies and you know kind of compare it to this so let's start by maybe just giving a little brief description of what this film is about sure so ford versus ferrari is effectively a true story with a lot of embellishment as always happens with a biopic but basically, in the early 60s, uh, Ford, tired of making cars that were largely, uh, very, well, selling cars, but they wanted something with a bit more street cred. So they wanted to go racing. However, they didn't really have a racing car culture. So they said, let's buy the most successful team out there. Now, Ferrari at the time, hard to believe, was a struggling car company. I mean, Enzo Ferrari was very clear that he only made road cars, and frankly, often badly made, just so he could support his racing habit. So Ford just said, we'll buy Ferrari outright. Ford then tried to buy Ferrari um, famously, Ferrari disagreed at that point when they were about to sign the papers because, um, and the film kind of refers to this, although it doesn't quite go into the exact details of what happened, but largely Enzo wanted to retain full control of the racing team and Ford said, well, we own it so we can shut it down if we want to. Now, that's what the film portrays. In real life, it is infinitely more complicated. But basically, Enzo was a bit, threw a bit of a strop, walked out the door, and Ford decided that they were going to show Ferrari by building their own race car and beating them at Le Mans, which was the greatest race in the world. Now, for those who don't know, Le Mans is still uh, running. It's a very, very old race. It's in France, uh, and it's a 24-hour race. So basically, it's a race that takes place for 24 hours. Obviously, one driver can't drive for 24 hours, so they have teams of... At the time, I think it was two drivers per car. Uh, I think it still is two drivers per car. So they share shifts of about, obviously, 12 hours each. And they rotate them around. So the car runs continuously for 24 hours. So it's an incredible test of uh, many things. Focus on the driver's part, mechanical reliability on the car's part, and often the engineering, because you still have to be a race-winning car. You're running flat out. And in Le Mans, the weather can change dramatically. It's a huge, huge track. Um, it has one of the longest straights in racing. It's called the Mulsanne Straight. So you can hit speeds of over 200 miles per hour. And imagine the car has to do that for 24 hours. So that's why Ferrari were the champs at that. They've been building race cars for several years. And Ford, I mean, now, of course, Ford is a massive, even more massive car company with a lot of racing wins. But at the time, it seemed ridiculous. It would be like saying Suzuki is going to win, you know, a Grand Prix, which they haven't. So that was the basis for the race. And that was the basis for the film. And obviously, as the film points out, uh, in 66... Ford did actually manage to beat Ferrari and they continued to win for the next four years till they finally got stopped doing it because they got bored of beating Ferrari. And the movie starts in 1963 with uh, Carol Shelby. So the two main characters, so besides the car and the companies, Ford and Ferrari, the two main protagonists in the film are Carol Shelby, acted by Matt Damon and Ken Miles by Christian Bale. Um, do you want to go into... Yeah, because this film is such a complicated series of events that you, uh, the film focuses on two people who were at the heart of the matter, but in real life it was much more complicated. Suffice to say, Carroll Shelby was himself an accomplished racer, a bit of an iconoclast. He was a chicken farmer who turned into a Grand Prix racer. And he actually was, now the film portrays this wrongly, but he actually was approached by Ferrari to race for him. But he refused, saying that Ferrari were not particularly caring about their drivers. Uh, and the film, I think, to his detriment, doesn't point this out, that there was history between Shelby and Ferrari. Oh. So f he really, really didn't like them because well, a lot of drivers died in those days. It was very common for every season to lose at least one driver. It was just accepted, and now that's not at all acceptable. But at the time, in the 60s, racing was a glamorous, sexy, but also very dangerous sport. And 
what I know is that he he was the only or the first American to win a Le Mans, Le Mans race, and it was for Aston Martin, just based on the I brief research I did. So uh, I think what? Dan Gurney also won a few. I mean, he was the first guy to get in there. But the thing was, almost as soon as he won it, he had to stop because he had a hard-drinking, hard-living lifestyle. He used to take nitro pills to steady his heart. So he was in no condition to race. I mean, his heart was just a mess. That's how he ended up working with Ken Miles, who's probably one of the best British drivers that ever lived. Uh, moved to America, very, very good driver. And he's the one who sort of masterminded the driving effort of the Fords that won. Again, the film is, plays fast and loose with the facts as always a biopic must. But the film posits basically that Shelby and Miles were the two key figures that pushed Ford to that epic win in 66. And from that respect, that is true that they were a part of it and a big part of it but they were by, by no means the only part of it. And in terms of the actual filmmaking, so I'm not a car person, but I was totally into it, and I went to see it twice. Uh, second time was on IMAX. It was a far more enjoyable experience. Uh, and I remember James Mangold was saying in an interview I listened to, he said, you know, to him, this was a mo- it's an action film for grown-ups. And that's what I took from it. Like, it was, yeah, it was gripping. I didn't know too much about the background, so I'm going in really not sure what's going to happen, but I assume the Americans will win, because that's what happens in most American It's not Ferrari versus Ford, it's Ford versus Ferrari. (laughs) And, um, but, like, the things that went through my mind during this film was this whole Ford as this big you know, company, almost evil company, you know, they're determined to win, they'll throw whatever Are money. Are for the bad guys in this field? Well, that's... a massive company. Ferrari's still a tiny company by comparison. Exactly, and that's what I was thinking. Like, is this movie, you know... I- are they the bad guys or is this an accepted norm that yeah, big evil companies are the ones that are running the show, which it feels like today because I also thought about filmmaking industry and what we're getting and it's only, I think Disney now has la- literally taken over yeah. and, and, and I kept thinking about James Mangold who's part of the system he's made, you know, Wolverine uh, Logan etc and is he celebrating that or is he critiquing it you know and uh, there was this line about you know uh, where Matt Damon uh, says um, to to Tracy Letts who's amazing as Henry Ford II um, that you can't win uh, car races by committee and I immediately thought about how a lot of filmmaking today is being made by committee you know kind of big studios and big board meetings de- deciding what films to be made and who's in it and how it should be made etc so yeah I don't know what are your thoughts on that I think uh, the film is a lot more simple than what you're suggesting I mean you're thinking about it in a very in exactly the ways I would think about it but I think the film actually just wanted to portray the events in a very straight away fa- head fashion and it did I mean it does suffer God, doesn't sound like I'm a big fan of it. I think the car, the first part I'll address. The car racing is really well Mm. done. I think it's very visceral. If you notice, there's a great sound design. So whenever, like people slam hoods, there's like a crunch. You can hear tires squealing. You can hear brakes creaking. It's very like, you feel like the cars are going to fall apart while they're doing the race. And I think that's what's missing from modern racing because everything is so slick and anodized. It's like a song. We talked about music many times, right? And today, all the guttural notes are processed out of music. Today, everybody has to be perfect, perfectly presented on Instagram, perfectly presented on the song. And that film makes quite clear that racing is a messy, dirty sport. There's oil all over the place. There's rain. The cars don't work properly. The drivers are tired. And the people behind the scenes are often Machiavellian, Machiavellian, and um, quite conniving. And all of these things come together in some sort of weird cocktail to make uh, a successful product. But... It's also a very idealized fantasy, don't you think, of what actually was. I don't think it was anything like that in real life in terms of that. I think that's, that's how Mangold would like to portray Le Mans 66. But there's a lot of elements missing from the history of it. I don't want to get too caught up in the history because it is a film. It has to be entertaining. And by that regard, it's entertaining. But I think he's trying to portray an idealized version of what the greatest race of all time was like. That's what I think. And they threw in maybe the one bad guy, right? So is Does this film really have a bad guy, though? Is I thought, it kind of lacking antagonists, I think? Well, to me, the bad guy was uh, Leo Beebe. Is that Beebe, Beebe, that's Beebe. Uh, Josh Lucas. Basically so he, playing every Josh Lucas character <laughs> ever. I do feel sorry for Josh Lucas. He's playing exactly the same character he played in Hulk. 
I don't remember much of Hulk, but, but probably. But he's also just a difficult government functionary, and he's always just a sleazeball. But in this, he, he was can't the. Play hero. No, that's true. And in this, he was what, like an SVP of. Uh, Marketing so at, his at issue Ford. Was Miles. His issue was Ken Why? Miles. I mean, or again, was this just for the he movie? Wasn't a company man, and I think that kind of plays into what you're saying about today, right? Because everybody has to be a company man. Yeah, because there's a line where he says, "You know, uh, this is a Ford car, and we need a Ford car racer." Whereas Ken Miles was portrayed as almost like a beatnik, like he was very, very different and difficult. But actually, again, I don't think that's true because, as played in the film, he's just a stubborn mule. He's not by any means a counterculture person. He's just somebody that knows what's right and will stick to it. He's more of the classic um, difficult man character that we get in so many TV. Things like House, stuff like that. Somebody who's difficult, says what he feels, and pretty much does what he feels. And that's the character that we've seen loads and loads of times. But the movie doesn't want that. The movie wants everybody. And Shelby, not people talk about that Shelby played the company man beautifully. I mean, he was the guy who had to make all the tough decisions in the film and keep Miles out of races. By the way, that's not true. Remember, there's one point in the film in 60, so in 63 or 64, they do their first race, uh, and Miles doesn't go. In 65, he doesn't go. But in reality, he did go. He did go to those races. So again, the film's playing way fast and loose with the facts. He did actually go because he developed the car. There's no reason why he shouldn't have gone. But the film needs to portray a story with a... That's the problem with the film for me, which is really... I know I'm going getting negative, but... It, in, in attempting to fill a kind of a classic a journey, they've changed so much of the history that it doesn't, it feels like it's just full of air. It doesn't feel like, it's like a paper doll. It doesn't actually feel like it has anything inside it because they've changed so much of the story. The actual story is pretty straightforward. And Ford won, Ferrari lost, although you could argue that in the long term of history, Ferrari won because those race cars are now worth millions of dollars and Ferrari is an established post-car manufacturer, one of the most best-known brands, if not the best-known brand in the world, and Ford isn't. That's true, and I was wondering, like, who's on the right side of history and, you know, history decides in the fact. end... Uh... Even in the final bits, they have Enzo sneering away from yes. the upper towers. <laughs> he just was there. True fact. Um, Enzo was never at the race. Oh, <laughs> any reason why? Couldn't be bothered, I think. Uh, I think because he knew that they would probably had a good chance of losing, but he didn't attend every race. But there was an interesting uh, part where Enzo's there, and then how when um, Ford, during, when he wanted to go for lunch or dinner, he leaves by helicopter, and then Enzo kind of mocks that behavior, right. saying, Oh, look, that's such an unclassy act. Um, so again, I think maybe There's just a, lot add a of bit Euro of. Euro versus Americanism. <laughs> we see very little of Ferrari, their culture, their people. They barely get any speaking roles. And for a film, it's really Shelby Miles versus Ford. Actually, the film is completely the other way around. It's them struggling to beat Ford's internal hierarchy to build a car that wins. By the way, the car that Shelby and Miles built in the film was actually built by a British firm called Lola. They brought the, bought the chassis from the UK. So actually, Ford didn't build a goddamn thing. Um, they, just, they got Shelby and Miles in and to finish it. Ferrari had a driver called John Surtees. And John Surtees, I think, was a, is widely acclaimed as probably the greatest driver of that generation, of the day. Uh, and you know why Ford won that race? Because Surtees didn't race. So Surtees was the best racer on the track on the day of uh, they, uh, that they were doing testing. He looked at the track and he was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. He wouldn't do it. I can't remember the reason. I'll look into this. But Surtees wouldn't go. And he actually drove back to the factory and told Enzo, I'm not racing. So they were racing without their number one racer. And that's why they lost. So, because the other, because again, trying to depict bad guys, like um, the, the driver for, the, uh, for Ferrari, it's a film where you know the Americans are going to win, right? Yeah. It's that kind of movie, because um, there is this level of American chauvinism that gets um, shoved down our throats, I think, in the film. So, yeah. You say shoved down your throats. I don't see too many American flags fluttering in the wind, Michael Bastille. It didn't have to, but it was like, you know, it talks about World War II and, uh, and how it was Ford you know, things pr- produced in the Ford factory that won the war. Remember the Well, I mean, they're, they're talking about the Jeeps because the Jeeps were yeah. built by Ford and Willys Overland. Uh, actually, Willys Overland built more Jeeps. But Ford built a lot of the vehicles that won the war. And, and that point was made very, you know, clearly at one point in the film. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, there were no flags, thank, thankfully, but there was another element of, you know, yeah, the Americans uh, have it's the upper hand. It's so beautifully short. <laughs> it was. I'm not denying it. Like I said, Technically, I was Technically, really I think Mangold it. pulled a great... But it's missing 
heart. I'll give an example of a film that's, I think, poorly shot by Dominic Senna, but it's still quite entertaining. It's gone in 60 seconds. The Nicolas Cage movie. Now, the final bit of that with, with everybody knows it, with uh, Eleanor screaming through the streets of LA on the run is probably a great car chase. But most of the movie is kind of shot like in late 90s, early 2000 music video. It's also drenched in color and sparks and shit like that. But honestly speaking, the film works because he knows how to direct actors. And they build up that the, the central thing that it's sort of Nicolas Cage versus, again, a British villain, which was, I think, uh, what's his name? The chap from uh, Doctor Who. Yes, Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston. And they build up that conflict and you kind of want him to win. Whereas in Ford versus Ferrari, my central confusion is, who am I talking about? Is it, the villain is clearly Ford. The Ford Motor Company, not um, Ford the second, the third. He's the second. He's the second? Yeah. Oh, God, I can't remember. Yeah. But is Ford... Positioned as the evil company. This yeah. is what I'm questioning. By the time it the is. movie ends. It is. I think by the end they were... Because... Uh, well, I don't Spoiler alert, I suppose. At the end of the race, Ken Miles, is, who was racing and one of the key figures, was denied the chance to come as the winner. Yes. I mean, and that was like a terrible... Um thing to happen where he's been so far ahead of the others and then you yeah, know he because they won for a picture perfect moment like first second and third positions are all for Ford cars and they wanted all of them to cross the line at the same time just for to get yeah. the perfect photo and again a corporate decision versus making that, the team uh, given, you know given um, yeah. to, to celebrate Ken and then he ends up losing because the guy who won uh, I think Danny Hume had driven slight no Bruce McLaren actually had driven at a longer distance so yeah so that was dis- a technical yeah uh, but Given what I know about the Ford Motor Company these days, I'm not surprised. That actually feels pretty accurate because these days it's all about the company. So that part of it rings quite true. The fact that it's more about the company than the individual people. Carol Shelby, who the hell is Carol Shelby as far as they're concerned? It's the Ford Motor Company paying for all of it. Carol Shelby, of course, would go on to have a very long and glorious career as a racer. Sorry, none of that actually happened. He didn't have a glorious career. He basically built a very famous Mustang, the Shelby GT350, which sealed his career for the rest of his life because he was building Cobras and stuff like that. But he already built the Cobra. Carroll Shelby didn't have any significant race success after Le Mans 66. What he did have was tremendous, incredible marketing success as Carroll Shelby. Now, there is an extremely good article written by Hannah Elliott of Bloomberg about Ford versus Ferrari, where she goes into depth about how much he disagrees with the portrayal of Shelby. Not, 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 not Matt Damon's fault. I think Matt Damon did fine. Although he did kind of... Can we talk about acting for a second? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think Christian Bale pulled it out of the hat. He, did a, he yeah. changed his body posture and his face. He did that thing where That's he juts his jaw. Yeah. He's such a good transformer. You'll forget that you're talking like Christian Bale. It's Batman. But you wouldn't know it looking at him. He's, again, he's the MVP of the film. I think he did such a good job of... Instantly you knew what kind of character he was. But... Matt Damon kind of coasts along on his lazy sort of A-lister charm. He's just playing Matt Damon That's in a hat. That's true, yeah. I mean, we all like Matt Damon, so it's fine. But Cal Shelby in real life was a womanizer, a serial cheat. Uh, he was, by all means, not the nicest man who ever walked the earth. And everybody who worked with him described him as an untrustworthy crook. So the film portrays him as this sort of well-meaning parochial figure. I but mean, there were a couple of moments where, you know, the crook side of him comes yeah. out where he steals the the stopwatches from the Ferrari team and you know trying didn't, to didn't kind happen. of play mental games but didn't like happen. so but I don't know was maybe also it didn't happen the bit where he took for, uh, for Tracy Letts's Ford out for a drive and made him cry right <laughs> that didn't didn't, ha- ha- didn't happen <laughs> but I thought that was a great addition it's a great <laughs> film but the problem for us car people is that we're very familiar with the story it's something and I think. Uh, we know the story really well. So there's no real drama. So for when us. you watch a movie like this, you, it's hard for you to distance. This is a you film the versus the real story, and you kind of say, it's hard "Wait, to that's get not in. how it it's happened." It's hard to get into it. But I think for a lot of people, a lot of people who haven't watched it, they're like, "Yeah, it's great." I, I wish I could. It's it's like me watching Lord of the Rings. I've read the book so many damn times that I know where every moment, everything that diverts from the book is an irritation. It's like people who watch Game of Thrones. Okay, I'll put that younger person okay. sop in there, but. Ford vs. Ferrari, I was still open to it being an interesting film, but I don't know, I feel strangely hollow at the end of it. I feel like the central relationship is... Like, I think I want to like it more than it actually merits. And as a car person, that puts me on the wrong side of car people because they're all going gaga. Like, it's the greatest film ever. And I think aesthetically, it's beautiful. It's like a Marvel movie. Aesthetically, it's gorgeous. Did you feel emotions watching it? Um... 
I did. I think with Ken Miles, I think the these decisions to overrule what he wants to do, uh, I felt for that. And again, it's the you know big company versus or sorry small you know one person versus company, or how um, you know the yes man kind of deciding and determining what you know your fate uh, in this case. Ken's position as the winner or not the winner of the race. So there, there were these moments. And his, his son, acted by Noah Jupe, is that how you pronounce his surname? Who I think... Jupe, I don't Juppé, know. Yeah, but so Peter Miles. I love that kid. He's such an amazing actor. Yeah. And, and his moments with his father and when he's watching the race and when the first... So again, we are in spoiler territory, but... You could uh, see why. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to talk about the scene, you know, like when the car explodes first time... And then obviously the end of the movie and his reaction to it. And um, th- th- those were the moments where I felt were touching and moving. Um, what I felt, I think maybe um, we, j- we talked about this before recording was, you know, I didn't feel the movie was horny enough. So, <laughs> so it lacked, I think. Richest. It's a very wholesome uh, PG-13 family where I know a movie it's like. It's very long. It is for a PG thirteen. Two and a bit hours. <laughs> two and a half hours for PG. Two and a half hours. Yeah, two hours thirty two minutes. It's, uh, and two for, hours thirty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's two and a half hours. But a lot of that is spent retreading the same ground over and over again. It's Shelby versus BB, uh, Miles versus BB, them winning. <laughs> I'm like, we get it. I mean, they spent like a good hour of the film in corporate antics, and I'm like, that thing to me was like, you gotta cut all of that. No, I'm. I know. I was into it. I like the corporate antics. Um, I thought it was tedious. Let's get into it. Um, wait, let's. Can we talk about maybe his wife and how if this Ooh, was a movie made in the 1980s interest. or 1990s, it would have. Had, she was a supportive wife. She was. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, what are your thoughts on it? You know, kind of not being horny enough compared to movies that were made in the 1980s and, and 90s, especially a movie like this. I wanted more depth from her. She was a very supportive <laughs> character, but she's also a very thin character. I'm like, I want to know more about what was happening. I just finished True Detective Season 3, which uh, is good but not great. But it has a very interesting female character in that, uh, played by Carmen Jogo, I think I got her name right. And she plays a very complex wife in that. Not your typical staying at home and making drinks for the husband. I thought she was very spiky and interesting and I wanted that from Miles' wife because Miles' wife has played in the movie is just shows up at the garage, shows up when she's fighting with Shelby and she just shows up and she's always got his backbone. And there's only once or twice where she really challenges him but to me that's fine if you're making movies in the 60s but you're making movies in 2019. I want more from my characters. I mean, and assuming she wasn't just a uh, sit-at-home, you know, just sitting Seemed there. Like to, she was. Well, but I don't know. Is her character, like, she's the one that grounds him? So we're talking about Molly Miles, acted by Katriona Kit- Balf. Again, I'm, I'm really bad at names today. But so she's, like you said, she turns up when she's there to support him. But there were a couple of instances where she also challenges him, where she's questioning what's he doing. Mm-hmm. And she, sh- she can't be the only one working, earning money for, mm-hmm. the, fa- for the household where he's off racing. Um, but again, there was like the couple of scenes where she does walk in and, you know, they talk about cars or, you know, they're describing the cars and, you know, how much does it vibrate and wood paneling. And I immediately thought if this was a movie made in the 80s or 90s, it was what, you know, there would have been this kind of enjoyable sleaziness to it versus this was a very much kind of clean, wholesome. That's a good point, actually. I mean, that's when somebody's about to make out, basically. Yeah, and we don't see any of that. And maybe they shouldn't have made that scene, either, you know, go the full way or not. (laughs) Expand that point. Do you see much of that in movies at all now? No, As they become Disney-fied? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't. We don't. I think a lot of it is... I think trying to please uh, certain markets like uh, China and... uh, Asia and the Middle yeah, East, let's Middle just be honest. East, right? yeah. So kind of making them these very but do you think very that PG serves, type that of movies. The people, though, when they don't see this stuff in, on, the, on the media they consume, then they're just shocked by it when it actually happens in real life. I think when everything, when we're always being shown wholesome, you know, characters and stories, it, it gets boring because, again, it doesn't... So you become less and less engaged. It doesn't yeah. take you somewhere, whether you like it or not. Like, you know, you want to have these emotions and, and react to something and where everything so the only is just, emotions here are is, winning and losing exactly and there's nothing mm. else right so uh, so I thought that was another interesting element that was missing from the film which would have been a lot different made you know a couple of decades ago yeah 
Can we talk about Lee Iacocca, such an amazing surname, um, acted by John Berthnell, who I love, and I'm waiting for He's a movie. always good in yeah, anything he, he does. I need a movie where he's the lead role. I mean, I loved watching what, Do you think so? I think he's a great character actor. He is, he is. But I'd like to have an opportunity to see him lead a film. I mean, fine, maybe he's... That means he has, he has been a Marvel movie now. <laughs> no, no, don't say he, that. He's already in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. He was the Punisher. <laughs> Oh, I didn't. Okay, I didn't see didn't that one. Much. Uh, but uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, his he's character? He's great. He's always great, though. <laughs> what he plays, he's a great character actor because he's always shifty. You're never quite sure. He's supportive. In this movie, he's playing fairly straight ahead. But normally, Bernthal has a has a very snake-like energy, and you don't. He was great. I think I first saw him in prominence in The Walking Dead, and he was great in that show. He played a character who was beyond redemption, knew it, but still walked into the darkness anyway. And that's missing from this movie where he kind of plays just the supportive figure to Shelby. He's a guy who gives Shelby and Miles cover. Um, he's good. I would like to have seen more of him. I don't know what I wanted from this movie, clearly, because whatever I got wasn't what I wanted. So I feel like I'm being very harsh on it. But you'd recommend people to go see it? Oh, yeah. First of all, from a car person perspective, there's so few car films now. And I think young people are not interested in cars and... I'd be lying if I told you that I had an interest in auto racing. I have zero interest in motorsport, motor racing, motor automotive car drivers. So for me, it has no... I know people who did and who grew up with it. And for them, this is like their gospel. So to fear a film like this on the big screen is... You're going to a movie with more than just a desire to see the film. You go in with your history and all of that informs how you feel about it, right? So if I obviously have a long history of comic books. So when I, was, when I went to see comic book movies, I was... Fulfilling a long-held dream. But when I go to see Le Mans 66, I'm going in with nothing. And there are people who go into this movie with so much baggage that they can't help but love it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and I also thought about the strong uh, car culture here in the UAE. So I know, I'm curious, like, is this movie doing well because there's a lot of car crazy people here or people aren't interested the crazy car people aren't interested in watching I think people like the car this. people are absolutely interested in which makes me as usual a bit of an outlier but it's important specifically to the UAE I can't speak to every country in the GCC to draw a point not to the fact that the UAE is not interested in motorsport and despite attempts by many of all uh, shapes and sizes to make it happen the motorsport has never been a thing we are interested in rallying in the desert because that's kind of where the, the heritage comes from and rallying in the desert still has a strong following but I mean there are so many events that we're about to talk about like the 81 Grand Prix the Masafi rally which was started by expats as well and a very bonkers event I think it was started by expats forgive me if I'm wrong but motorsport does not have a history in the UAE and I'm not quite sure why that never happened but then what about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix where does that fit in well that is so much more than a Grand Prix, though. It is a tourist exercise. It is a marketing effort for Abu Dhabi, which is hugely successful. It is a giant, giant uh, circus that comes to town. So it is a music concert series. So it is far more... The race is, if I argue, the minimalist part of that enterprise. So it's like the Dubai World Cup, the horse racing, where it, a lot of people are there not for the horse racing, but for partying and drinking and yeah. and uh, and yeah and partying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but can we then maybe talk a little about the the Dubai Grand Prix that happened in 1981? Yeah. And um, can you remember it? Because I would have been about. So no, I don't remember it. I stumbled upon a video about it, which I posted on my blog, and it's like a 10 minute short mm. news reportage or documentary about it. And what drew me to it is the location so it was where the height regency is which is one of my favorite buildings this kind of amazing big block uh, very, you know, mod uh, modernist architecture very stern concrete block uh, and it's by the sea and at that time it was there was not much around it so there was it was a perfect venue to create a racing track and it looked like wacky races i mean it was you know there they was got a track I, in, into in, the car park well the sandy Kacha Road that was there, they made yeah, I mean, they put the up fences, the safety was minimal. The infrastructure was clearly not there. I can there. tell you so many fun facts about that race. Um, well, so basically, yeah, go on, I think go it was like ahead. a million dollars, a million, up to nothing, <laughs> nothing to put a race together. And I think there's a bunch of British guys who put it together because yeah. they wanted to, but they knew clearly that nobody was going to take a Grand Prix seriously. But, so it was more of a fun race. Okay, I was going to say, were they in it because just for the love of it or were they expecting to make money but out of it? They wanted to see racing and still people, a lot of 
particularly European, British expats want to see racing. I don't think Arab expats, because it's not in our culture. Indian expats, not in our culture. So we don't attend races. We don't mm. care. So I'm drawing a racial line here. Mm. Nothing wrong with that basic example of who, the, who would then go who, to watch yeah. those races. Because when I went to, I was, as I was at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, there were not many brown faces okay. there. <laughs> so, the, nothing wrong with that, I suppose, but just pointing it out. So, the Dubai Grand Prix, they had to pay a lot of money to a lot of big names like Fangio, etc. I think Michael Mansell was there. There are a lot of people. Fangio had a heart attack on what, the day during of the, the race. race? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was in Dubai in Russia Hospital for three months. Okay. So, the cars were donated. Um, they, had a, they had them driving as well. They had race cars. Marlboro was a huge supporter, so they actually brought uh, girls who go out there on the track. I was looking at the sponsors. Alpha Team, wow, early days for Alpha Team. A.W. Galadari at the time were the importer for Citroën. Citroën, the oh. French parent. So they, su- they supplied these Citroën CX cars for the race. Now, these are not race cars. No, these are just not. car cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and they hammered these cars and... From the moment the first race happened, as far as uh, contemporary reports said, the racers didn't care. They just slammed into each other. It was like a go-kart race. They just <laughs> yeah, banged. Yeah, yeah. So these cars were beaten and abused within an inch of their life. And it was hilarious to see these Citroen race cars. It's like having a Mazda 3 or something or I, a Corolla looked, going out in a track. It, it looked mad. like the Wacky Races cartoon, yeah. to be honest. I mean, and just looking at the poster... Uh, it's got Sheikh Rashid on it. It's got Gulf Airplane flying across because <laughs> it's Gulf one of the sponsors. Yeah, this is pre-Emirates, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1981, exactly. So it's a, uh, definitely a few years well, before is it Emirates. Cath- Cathay Pacific? And, is it? Well, Cathay Pacific's on the poster as well. I guess uh, flying, you know, one another airline sponsor. Um, and you've got pictures of camels and palm trees. Sealand. What is Sealand? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know what that company is. But a yeah, lot of companies that are long gone. There's a lot of logos on the poster, but there's also a picture of Sheikh Rashid. And the title says it's celebrating the 10th anniversary of the UAE. And, that's true, because 71. Yeah, and so that's why I guess this race happened. And it was a one-off, but I keep imagining, what if this was carried on to have been an annual event? Well, the idea was always to get a Grand Prix race. And mm. Dubai was very close I can't go into too many details, but Dubai was very close to getting a Grand Prix race in the 90s. But the problem was there needs to be interest from several levels, from the highest level at the government level. There needs to be a financial business case for it, and there wasn't a business case for it. I don't think this race made any money. It was a nice event. It was a fun day out. It was a very (laughs) fun day out. It was bananas. I mean, I have pictures of my parents hanging off the... um, very young parents hanging off the uh, fences and just watching the cars scream but literally inches from a fence a chain link fence if any of those cars lost control I would not be here <laughs> the safety was there was not even any concrete barriers they were just racing they had all the people because anybody could come and line up on the fence and just chill that's true that's true and you can see bits of it in the video so if you look up for Dubai Grand Prix 1981 the video will come up on YouTube it's a video of early yeah. 80s Dubai of course yeah which has I know we talked about this at length, but I have a warm fondness of that early yeah. era where it was just like, I wouldn't say anything goes, but it was very relaxed because everybody knew that we were in the middle of nowhere in the desert, so let's just try to put on a show. And that's kind of like life in Dubai, just put on a show. <laughs> and the show just got bigger and bigger. <laughs> warm memories of that time. Today, much like those Marvel movies, it's all a lot slicker, it's a lot better and better organized. It's PR. PR. That's PR. PR is the big... But yeah. then there was no PR because the guy who they interviewed for the video was incredible candid that's right about yeah. the difficulties getting money yeah. and how it seemed kind of shambolic I mean there's a really hilarious line in it where he goes uh, we will have educated the local people sufficiently enough to point say that out. Yeah. yes like this uh, we like this event as a tourism event as a publicity and promotion event and we will go for a world championship Grand Prix and there's also a line where he talked about they had to call they had to educate the population to say this is a car race and not a camel race so I thought that was quite funny as an Amarati, well. how do you feel about the incredibly <laughs> condescending colonial tone incredibly condescending colonial I mean I wrote about that on my blog but as you said he was so candid because there was no um, it's no PR standing by to tap him on the to shoulder to say wait you're not supposed to say things Who like that guy? I'm looking at their blog it's Martin Horn wouldn't you want to hunt down Mr. Horn and a, find out what he thinks a Birmingham entrepreneur uh, he was described just a guy uh, that's true I mean again people People like to give themselves title. Imagine, what, was it a big deal to call yourself Birmingham entrepreneur? Birmingham, of all people, Birmingham. <laughs> but no, totally condescending. But like I said, I think it was done by a group also of people. Kind of who want, it, 
there, there is. It's like this old-fashioned type of charming, maybe We're which, putting on a show for the natives. But yeah, no, totally. Which wouldn't pass today, right? So I think it was a group of you know British expats wanted to have a good time out. I have no idea. Do you think they were serving alcohol around? Was it free at the time? You know, wasn't as restrictive. Oh, let me put it this way: I don't think openly mm. alcohol, but in every truck and trailer there's and car, always, there was uh, a beer because there's, there's always that angle to it, right? To all the big events. Uh, and now, if you go to the F1 in the team uh, villas, of course, of course, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's, so there is an element where let's do this. We'll show the natives. This is how to have a good time. This is how to drive fast cars. This is how we race. <laughs> properly <laughs> you and know, you know and, what and not on your camels <laughs> but that's the problem with racing in the Middle East why it's never caught on as much as it should because people out here try to bring in European standards try to bring in British ways of doing racing we know we have our flame suits and all I know people who started with the early days of racing out here this problem was that people turn up in sandals and that's what they're used to driving they're not used to helmets they're not used to flame or flame proof overalls and that's why it's not caught on, because people are trying to bring in very advanced standards of safety, which is, again, important, don't get me wrong, safety is important. But we're dealing with still incredibly grassroots racing. But where I remember growing up, the Dubai rally was a big thing. And so was that a, fo- a much more appreciated and followed race by... Yeah, I mean, I think, the, Masafi, well? the Masafi rally. Yeah. And there was a big, like a, one name who was always in it every year and he won and I forgot his name, an Emirati driver. Mohammed bin Salem. Yes. Mohammed bin Salem has, of course, now gone on to much greater things and he's running all of the local events out here and he's an absolute legend. Early story, he, there used to be, I don't know if you remember this, there used to be sort of a oval race that happened near Unud Mehta okay. where the Lamsi Plaza now stands. And a lot of people used to go out there, expats, and race in their Datsun 120Ys. Now, Mohammed, a very young Mohammed bin Salim turns up in a Land Cruiser pickup. That's a pickup versus a car. And everybody said, you're mad. Well, he went out there and beat all the cars in a pickup. That's how fast he was. So from there, the legend began. Of course, he went on a race for Marlboro and go on to become a quite accomplished Middle East rally champion. But that's where the passion was. It wasn't in car racing. It wasn't in Grand Prix. The British people who started the race, I don't want to point any fingers in a particular group, but the people who wanted to start the race wanted to do something like they were nostalgic for home. The things that they used to go to at Silverstone, Brands Hatch, all their events that they used to attend at home. They said, well, we're in the desert. There's no reason we can't do that here. And that's why the Dubai Grand Prix happened. But the people out here just had no interest in it because yeah. it wasn't coming from the local culture. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't coming from the expat Asian culture. It wasn't coming from the, ex- the uh, Arab culture. Oh, yeah. So it became a case of two halves. Mm. The people who attended the race enjoyed it, but it never did, went on again because people who watched it were like, this isn't what we want. Yeah. But I know, I mean, so... Yeah. It's a bit sad. It, it seemed like a fun day out. Yeah, no, totally. But I And mean, somebody's got to put a show on, right? That's true. And I think those days of Mohammed bin Salam, because he was everywhere and he was... Oh, he still is. You know, he still uh, is, yeah. But I just, it was so prominent in the media for me. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened but to But it's him. still a struggle to get motorsport it to is. be a thing. Because I'll tell you why. Motorsport's hilariously expensive. There's no way Shelby and Miles would have won any races without the backing of Ford. Because they were throwing vast so amounts of money. The money. They spent... There's an old rule in racing. The person who wins is the one who spends the most money. Okay. As in most and it's still true. life, I guess. It's still true. <laughs> Mercedes is the most accomplished racing team in F1 at the moment. And they spend multiples. An average team needs about $100 million to be, just to be at F1. Mercedes spends about $500 million. Okay. And they lose that money. Right. They don't care. Because it's marketing. They write it off as a marketing expense. Because it, Mercedes cars can then point to their association with six-time or whatever. I think six times now. Lewis Hamilton. Who I saw at the Grand Prix. How do you get excited about winning a race? That's a good point. I'll come back to the film in a second. He's won an F1 six times. Hundreds of races. How do you care about winning a seventh time? In fact, he was the race was pretty boring. I was there at the race, and he just drove around. He led from the start. It was a procession. It was a procession. It was like cruise control. (laughs) He was in the lead of the start. He never gave up the lead. Everybody's fighting behind him, and the commentators were struggling to find something interesting to say because, oh, "Oh, it's a big scrap for fifth place. But Lewis was just driving, and he had the fastest car, and he had the best team, and he cruised to the win. How do you get motivated for a seventh win? How do you get the crowd who paid thousands of dirhams to come back? I wouldn't pay for that. Ticket. And to get their money's worth. So they don't. They no went. Action. They went to see the killers. <laughs> the, the band. They yeah. went to see Len, Lena Del Rey, the, which apparently a lot of people, children were crying at. Oh really? They Why? were crying because oh, really? Lena Del Rey Lana. is very emo. Oh. 
okay. And a lot of people journey from good for them. Yeah. Good for them. Me, I'm like, oh, don't know well, about that. Well, for listeners who aren't familiar, so with the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, every night there's a big concert. Oh, a lot of names, some I don't know, I've never heard of, but there was the Killers and Lana Del Rey. And Travis Scott, who didn't turn up, who was replaced by Gucci Mane in future. See, I don't, I don't know who these people so are. So here's the problem, right? <laughs> all these people now, at least 10 years ago, when the F1 started, I knew who all the acts were. It was like Prince and Linkin Park. Now I'm like, oh, I don't know who any of these people <laughs> no, are. No, is it, it's our age? Like, are we coming? Complete? They're not doing concerts for us now. We're in the oldies section. <laughs> Like if they had Rick Ashley there, I'd be like, I'd, be, I'd buy a ticket to go see Rick Ashley, but not nobody else would. So, but, so, so then when you say things like there's not enough action, it's super boring, the racers are in auto mode, again, it, the kind of... It's the, not this movie though, this movie, the racing was wheel to wheel, that's how it yeah. was in the 60s. So the old day, again, so how things have, you know, just, is it because of things a lot more automated, a lot more... Safer. The safer, car, the car's okay. safer. In the old days, the danger could, element is missing. Oh, danger. But we don't want people to die on we don't you know, want people during to the race either. But maybe we do. It's like boxing. No. It's like boxing. Maybe we do want people to oh. see. Maybe we're just horrible people and we watch for disaster and drama. We're watching for. In, the, it's a horrible thing to say about ourselves, but maybe we watch for the fireball. Maybe we watch for the, the, the person who gets hurt in the boxing ring. Because that's the question we have to ask why are we watching this? Mm. It's, is there any need to it? It's not like farming. <laughs> it's not necessary for our lives, right? It's not important. Yeah, this it's not is saving a, lives. It's pugilism is one of those things where you're like, are you watching for the beauty, the sport, or the bloodthirst? Mm-hmm. And the same with racing. It's the hard questions. Now, I watch because I want to see these machines. I'm a robot, basically. I want to see the cars succeed. Kind of the man and the machine strive to beat. Like a, like a man and his horse. But the, I don't notice the violence and the blood and the danger and that's to the detriment of the film yet again because it doesn't play up the danger enough to me it just says the danger is really that they wouldn't come first second and third i'm like okay who cares who cares <laughs> are we a few years away from a driverless car grand prix people thought we could do it right now there's nothing stopping you to do it it'd be very boring it would be like watching yeah, a it, yeah i mean just the description alone sounds really it's boring. like a slot car race <laughs> slot car race Okay, but can we then talk about the police cars and how every few months, you know, there'll be this new edition and the Dubai police car <laughs> fleet it's a, and it's the greatest big, marketing effort. Yeah. Fast cars. I think they're actually moving away from that now. I think they're not doing as much as they used to, but a few years ago. And fair, hands up, full admission, I have worked with Dubai police on a few things. So they do a great job of drawing attention to It's all about drawing attention to Dubai as a destination. That is the important part. And it's very smart. That's where it should be. Do the police cars actually do that much policing? Not very often. But I was going to say, were there car chases on Shivzaid Road in those cars? They do get... <laughs> in the early days, they were driven quite a bit. Nowadays, they park them with the malls. They use them with the vans. It's a promotional marketing thing. And you can... Anybody can call the police and say, you know, can you bring a supercar out to my birthday? They might actually say yes. <laughs> For free? Uh, yeah. No, they, yeah, they don't so charge. It's like a public service. <laughs> it depends how nice you are to them. But they are... Lovely people, all the supercar guys are great, they're actually car guys, they love driving, they love uh, doing stuff with cars. But I know one of the police supercar colonels very well, he loves to take his quads out into the desert and he does lots of really crazy stuff with it. And I keep thinking, but there's no, in any of his pictures that he showed me, there was no, and here's me on a track. <laughs> there's nothing like that. It's me out with my friends, it's out in the desert. showcase. There's that disconnect then again between what we think, what people think is civilized motorsport and what the Middle East thinks is motorsport. And I think that's why motorsport's never really caught on. So is it more about the prestige of having the car, having access to it or driving it? There's a prestige here about having cars and brands. Yeah, but not necessarily the the kind of the expertise or the know-how of driving these cars, especially in races. No, skill in the Middle East is very, very favored. I mean, the car is one part of it. Mm. Having the best car is always a time-honored tradition. But also being a great driver and ego is all part of that. Mm. Uh, But now racing is purely about having the best car. You could have an average driver in the best car and he would win, guaranteed. So that's how things have changed. Whereas in the 60s, I think Ferrari had the better car in that race, but Ford were faster on the straights and they had more discipline. Which doesn't make for exciting racing. <laughs> they were just, they knew they wanted to win. <laughs> so it's kind of, where's the, where's the tension in Ford versus Ferrari? If you Wikipedia that article, you'd know what happened mm. in the race. Oh, all the danger with yeah, the historical. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, again, like I said, you know, we, you know who's going to win, you know who the bad guys are. But uh, I don't know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I just, 
I just appreciate a film is made for grown-ups, a film is made that is not that involving is. Uh, superheroes, that I'm not expecting a sequel <laughs> and a prequel and a spin-off. Do you know what I mean? It's a standalone film. It can't be. Film. Ken Miles died. Exactly, right? So so I, I appreciate it for that fact. So And I just encourage people, because, you know, we talk, we complain about not enough diverse films in cinemas, but when they are, like, I think it's important to go and show that it's doing well, this that is, we're paying to watch them. You make a very good point, because... This would not be a particularly noteworthy film, but it is now when everything is superhero films or franchise movies, all a lot of which are flopping all over the place, like Dark Fate, etc. Just went died horrible death at the box office. Um, Charlie's Angels, the reboots aren't working, but the comic book stuff is still working. I just watched the Wonder Woman trailer this morning; looked really good. So the way those films are working is because they're folding elements of social critiques, etc. They're doing everything they need to do to stay relevant. But these kinds of movies, these sort of mid... I mean, Ford was probably doing really well. Because people, old people need to watch movies too. That's true. It's not just the young'uns. It's not the young'uns. And they need to watch movies about cars. But let me draw a better, bigger point. It's kind of a, a eulogy for car films. Because nowadays, interest in car culture, car, cars in general, is dropping quickly. And I think a lot of it because there is no culture. There is no movies like this to go and watch. In the 80s, I watched a lot of crap films. Because there was a good car chase in there. You know, there was a good car or there was something. And everybody in the 80s had to have a cool car. That's true. And a car like chase. A car chase was like really important in movies, yeah. right? A car, cars were everything. Now that's not the case. I was watching a lot of movies recently and cars are almost uh, not... It's almost verboten. Like you don't want to see cars in the movies. And it's, we're losing something. We're losing something. I mean, that I don't know what a cars but freedom. I mean, if cars are given prominence, I think it's just uh, product placement. So like in the James Bond movies and not necessarily about, you know, the, That's the part craft. of the formula. Though, part of, but it doesn't work in a superhero movie. What is Tony Stark's car? I guess it's his suit. But the car <laughs> is relevant because the guy can fly. That's true. Why does he need a car? Why does he? It's a very slow way to get places. So what? what um, so we'll wrap this up by maybe talking about a favorite um, film about car racing from the past. Mm, it's tough because I don't like car racing uh, <laughs> you asked me a difficult question I think I'll go back to the old standbys and the classics I think it's sort of a twofer between Le Mans and Grand Prix Le Mans with uh, Steve McQueen of course who shot at the actual 71 Grand Prix because he loved car racing and you can see the film itself is largely plotless but the racing in it is so visceral and I think better than Ford versus Ferrari I think Le Mans final few scenes on the track are incredibly because you know how dangerous it looks However, in terms of the best shot car film, I would probably say the Grand Prix in 1966, which um, was 66, I need to check, but John Frankenheimer, who, who is the absolute master of car films, because he did Ronin as well. Which I've still not watched Grand Prix, and I'm really annoyed. I think you could find it a challenge. It's got James Garner, and it's been on my watch list for a long time. It's almost three hours long. Oh based it's on very the, long. Uh, Eve Marie Saint from North by Northwest. And uh, Toshiro Mifun, who was, of course, everything uh, from, uh, what's his name, the Japanese dude, uh, Seven Samurai, not Seven Samurai, yes. Seven Samurai. Yeah. He's got a great cast, actually. But it is a bit of a slow watch, and it is a bit of a melodrama. The car racing, so here's the great thing well, about... it's got James Garner, so I'll watch anything with James Garner. There you go. You're easy to get that way. Uh, the great thing about Grand Prix is they put the actual actors behind the cars. Now, they didn't race them. They built this crazy rig where basically they could drive and then the, the, they built camera rigs in front of the cars and then they drove around with the drivers following. It was terrifying. All the actors in... Uh, Steve McQueen was a good racer, so he actually did a lot of his own stuff there. But in Grand Prix, only James Garner actually stuck with it. Like the director afterwards said that he was going to be a good racer. James Garner actually could drive. There was an Italian guy, there was a French guy, and all of them were terrified. Absolutely hated it, because going at that speed is terrifying. But James Garner was... He ice. He actually went on to have a good racing career. Okay. So he, was, he caught the bug. But you could tell, they're in the rain, you could see the spray hitting their faces, and it looks... You can't get any closer. They're doing racing speeds in near race cars, and it's, it's as close to being you are there. You can get why they go racing, because it's like a, a high that you can't get anywhere else. Racing is a drug. Like war is a drug, as they say at the beginning of the Hurt Locker. And that's that drug. And if you don't get that hit, 
you will never ever feel that feeling and that's why ford versus ferrari they went out there and did what they did that's why ken miles couldn't stop racing all the way to the end because it's a hit now do we feel that way today i don't think it's as acceptable today i don't think people want to go out and put their lives at risk anymore they've got they've got likes on instagram you know they've got other things and that single minded determination our attention is being pulled a million ways when you're in a race car much like when you're in the desert your focus is total it's almost buddhist in your level of attention you have to be in the moment and we as a species are no longer capable of that no the attention span is uh, has reduced to like yeah it's broken into seconds. a million shards yeah, yeah everyone you know we, no one wants to sit long enough to listen to something or watch something or read something so mm. yeah i don't know i need to watch uh, grand watch prix, grand prix. it watch was on tcm like a long time ago and i recorded it but i never got to watch it now it's disappeared it's three uh, hours long yeah though. so i need to track it down and watch it there's um, a lot of racing though i mean what's your tolerance for racing it's fine i i have no issues i, I don't think i'll have an issue it's fine i mean if it's, By if, Lamar, if it's a well-made be. film i'm sure it's frankenheimer it's frankenheimer yeah so i'm sure it won't I'm, I'm sure I'm and actually it. that movie has some historical basis in it because I mean it's fictional teams and all that it has some of the it has many of the actual Grand Prix drivers at the time did the stunts because they couldn't find anybody else and a lot of famous faces make cameos in there Phil Hill Sergio Graham Hill but the thing about that is it actually portrays something that actually happened so in I think 64 or 65 Honda became the first team to win F1 and they did it with a car that was brand new and they came in because they wanted to race and the people laughed at them what is a japanese remember this is only 20 years after world war 2 what is a japanese to india what do the japanese know about cars because the british teams were the ones that were winning and the japanese came in and won with a car of their own design i think richie ginter the german driver was the one who won and the film more or less pays homage to that uh with what's his name james garner racing for a japanese team because he had fallen so far out of favor it's a good film i think you'd enjoy watching it can't wait to watch it yeah. uh So yeah, um Le Mans 66 Ford versus Ferrari still in cinemas as we record this uh in December. If it's still playing in the cinema anywhere near you, go watch it. Please uh let's support these films made for grown-ups while they're as, still being made. <laughs> while yeah. the while they're still being made. Um uh, Sham again as always it was super fun talking about films with you and I like that we look beyond the film and how it kind of relates to culture. in Dubai and in the region I feel like I've been down on Ford versus Ferrari but I enjoyed it it's a great laugh and I think if a film can inspire a conversation it can't be a bad film exactly so uh, I hope we can sit together again and watch and talk about another movie in the meantime thank you for listening uh, listen to Tea with Culture on iTunes Google Play uh, or any other app where you subscribe to podcasts uh, we're also on uh, Instagram and Twitter and uh, please uh, come back for more and thanks for listening You're going to build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford correct How long did you tell them that you needed? 2, 300 years. 90 days. <laughs> This isn't the first time Ford Motors has gone to war. We know how to do more than push paper. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. Thank you, sir. think you can beat Ferrari? We're lighter, we're faster. That don't work, we're nastier.